This is Daniel Figella of Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. I sometimes get friendly jabs from our European readers and subscribers, telling me that we need to have more European folks on the show. And interestingly enough, uh, we do. We do have European folks on the show, and that's exactly what we're doing here on the program today. And oddly enough, I'm also on the phone with European folks multiple times per month, usually our customers. Emerge Plus is our big kind of library of AI use cases, of AI white papers, and our ever-growing library of AI best practices for finding AI opportunities, for measuring AI ROI. This is sort of our flagship offering at emerge.com slash plus. And oddly enough, Europeans, as a percentage of our Emerge Plus subscribers, are very overrepresented. Based on the amount of traffic and the amount of general email readers that we have from Europe versus the number of customers, there's a lot of folks in Europe that are invested in educating themselves and really getting their hands on the most cutting edge material. And so we are consistently thinking about how to better serve our folks in Europe and also just our leaders around the world, leaders and consultants and advisors who follow Emerge for AI use cases and best practices. I think an optimist would say that the number of Emerge Plus subscribers we have from Europe is a real good sign that Europe is hungry to learn, is picking up things quickly. They obviously have many of the greatest educational institutions in the world, and I think it's evident in terms of some of the new and exciting startups that are coming up in Europe that hopefully AI is going to bloom and blossom in many ways as it has in some of the tech cities in the United States. But I think the story is somewhat complicated. There are some challenges to AI adoption in Europe, and some of those challenges are things that we'll see here in the United States as well. We bring onto the show this week Lars Jaukim Nilsson. Lars works in advanced analytics and big data within Meta, and Meta is a 200-person consulting firm based in Oslo, and Meta has worked with many large European enterprise firms on big data and AI-related projects. Lars speaks to us this week about why AI adoption in Europe is different, and for you, the listener, I think the important point is to tune in for all the myriad cultural and regulatory challenges that might also be relevant for you no matter where you live. I think that some of these things are indicative of what enterprises have to wrestle with generally. As a consultant, Lars has gotten to see a lot of companies, and so I think his perspective is prescient, and I hope that you learn a lot from today's interview. Also, if you haven't yet learned about Emerge Plus, you can go to emerj.com slash p1, that's p as in plus, and then the number one, and you can learn more about our full AI use case and white paper library, as well as our expanding library of AI best practices and frameworks to help you make the business case for AI. Whether you're an internal innovation leader or an outside consultant, if you need to convey the value of AI to leadership, Emerge Plus is the best tool for you, uh, and you can go to emerj.com p1 and learn a bit more. Without further ado, let's hop right into another European guest, for those of you who are European listeners and send me jabs every now and again, Mr. Lars Jalkem Nielsen with Inmeta uh, here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Lars, uh, we'll start off with just getting your perspective on what might make the AI ecosystem in Europe a little bit different and what maybe some of the unique challenges might be to applying AI in Europe specifically. So how would you kind of put that in a nutshell? All right. Uh, I think uh, from the uh, typical startup venture capital point of view, I believe that the U.S. market is more aggressive. In Europe, it's a lot of focus on uh, you know value from day one building a practice around you know, applicability. And some key differences are the willingness to invest in a vision 
typically in the US, they, it's all about growth. And, uh, you know, the venture capital is focusing on that. Uh, in Europe, it's more, more traditional. Uh, they want to see value upfront as, as soon as possible. And it's hard to sell a vision, uh, a future vision where it can be. That's one part. And, uh, if, if, and another part is, of course, that we do have GDPR. There's a lot of debate on it back and forth. Is it good for AI? Is it bad for AI? Actually, I believe both sides are correct. I think it's good to have drawn the line somewhere and then rather evolve from there on. I think actually that has created a lot of awareness for businesses on how and where AI can and should be applied. From the more technical point of view, I don't think there is a, any difference. Most of the technology around AI is open source or available. Papers are publicly available. So uh, the know-how from a data science perspective is there's no difference. So you brought up two themes here. Almost everybody's talked about GDPR thus far. So obviously it's a pretty serious matter. You also talked about kind of the appetite for risk. So, you know, we really want a sure thing. We're not really looking for a big pipe dream where we have a, you know, a hundred times payoff, but we don't, we have very risky odds. We're not as much interested in that. You know, when you think about what that means for AI within the enterprise, what do you think that means? Does that mean that a big company in Germany or in the Nordic countries has to think more about very low-hanging fruit AI applications as opposed to building a bigger transformation vision? Do they need mm -hmm. to start in a different way in terms of integrating AI into an enterprise as opposed to maybe what, what might happen in the States? What, what are your thoughts about how that transfers to, to the business world? It's a good question. And I think when you start on the journey, uh, you want to be AI-enabled or have widespread adoption. I think it's important to showcase the value and uh, how relevant it is for your business. We know, working with this day to day, we know that it has value. It's just a need to see it itself. And to be able to scale and make it a, a, as part of their you know, day to day business, uh, they're very focused on how to reduce the cost of actually developing these kind of solutions. And so it's all, all, all about how you can enable businesses like in, in terms of how do you organize it, how do you put in production, which is now called MLOps, and also how do you do ideation and how do you focus on value? So these kind of processes are, are very new. And, and I think the whole business is looking for best practices around this. One customer we've been working on for three years now, we kind of built this practice of, uh, together with them. And uh, we have run over, I think it's close to 50 machine learning, pure machine learning projects just for that business. And they have 20 or 30 of them in production. But you can't start with saying this is going to change and this is going to, you know, you have to think, rethink how you do your mm -hmm. job. You can't sell that. You have to show them and then it evolves into that. And to get that traction, you can't sell high-end solutions. You need to sell a process. So I think that is, uh, that is actually something a lot of businesses are working on, trying to how can we actually succeed 
uh, invites better option. Do you think that maybe it makes more sense for European enterprises to consider sort of what are the existing precedents of use? Is it maybe even more important for a European company to know, hey, who else has already done this? How has the process gone? Um, mm. What are the steps involved? Like, is it is it more important to think phasically and to take that kind of approach with the board, with the leadership or whatnot mm. um, in that kind of a risk environment? Is that, is that maybe something that you think would be more necessary, let's say? Mm. Well, of course, uh, if you want to embark on a journey to uh, become more data-driven, which most companies are not, um, <laughs> Uh, you definitely need to have some kind of support from uh, the board or the management on a high level. That's obvious. The thing is that a lot of companies in Europe are in the process of uh, digitalization. And AI machine learning, it is a natural continuation of that. When that is in place, you're starting collecting this data that you need, and then you can actually start building a practice around it. So it aligns a lot with digitalization. It's not a separate kind of uh, yeah. uh, exercise. So it's kind of a continuation, so to speak. Do you think that mm. it's, it sounds like you have to get to a certain degree of digital savvy of, of yes. you know core infrastructure before you can realistically start thinking about plugging AI into various and sundry processes. So I, I take it probably a lot of businesses, they have to check those first boxes before they start moving forward. Definitely. And it's almost, uh, to be honest, brutally honest, uh, kind of useless to yeah. start yeah. Uh, on an AI journey without uh, digitalization. Let me just get your, I'm going to move into your second point as well. You brought up a GDPR and I'm sure you have some excellent thoughts there. But when it comes to, to this digitalization and your brutal honesty, which I appreciate, our, our audience definitely is not here to be excited about AI by itself. Is a, if, if they're going to do AI in a way that's going to lose money, uh, I don't think anybody who listens to this show is all that interested in doing that. So when you mentioned kind of how it could be a waste of time, what do you think are kind of those necessary benchmarks that have to be hit when it comes to quote unquote, digital before we move into AI? Because that's a very broad topic. Um, where do you draw the line? What are those core competencies that need to be in place? From a competence point of view, uh, there is a challenge. And the number of people who are capable, to be honest, to actually build these kind of solutions. Yeah. There's a lack of competence in Europe when it comes down to data science. And that is actually... Uh, one of the reasons why maybe adoption is that challenging. The cost of a data scientist is insane uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, and, uh, um, but I don't think necessarily that a business needs to have a data science in place. They can uh, buy that kind of services. It's uh, actually more focused on being able to identify and, and uh, evaluate ideas around AI. And that is the ownership that businesses should have. They need to own like the solutions. I, I don't want to go into the details of this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, but you can't leave or hand over uh, developing a, an AI solution to a data scientist. You need to actually start from the business and be able to identify and, and evaluate those kind of opportunities and then seek the data you need 
and the competence you need to solve it. Yeah, so it, it has to start with that kind of yeah. contextual understanding of AI at the higher level in the business. You, mm. you don't just throw your PhDs at it and say, okay, well, we'll figure AI out now. Yeah, and, and beginning with that level of competence in, in the C-suite or leadership is obviously really, really challenging because of how new a lot of that is, how new digital is to many big enterprises. Anyway, all right, I know we could go on and on about that one, but you, you brought up another great point, which is around GDPR. When you think mm. about, you had mentioned that it, it's probably a good maybe and a bad thing sometimes. You'd mentioned that there's there's kind of two sides to it. Obviously, mm. in, in America, people are less concerned with GDPR. I think there's also a much more heavy bias on just moving really fast and staying ahead and moving really fast and staying ahead. And that definitely can have its downsides. There's no doubt about that. When you think about the pros and cons of GDPR in Europe, how do you see that affecting the AI ecosystem? When it comes down to building solutions with AI, you need data, right? Uh, it's the fuel. And um, the quality of the data matters a lot. And, and have the right type of data at the right level uh, of uh, granularity is important. And that sometimes bumps into GDPR. For example, if you have a video camera in your car, you're not allowed to use it for any uh, purposes because you might be filming faces and, and license plates. So you actually have to have a system that blurs out or masks those areas. So it is sometimes a bottleneck, but at the same time, I think that it creates awareness of what type of data you can and should use. So the solutions that you develop are sustainable and unjust. And I think that is the good part. Of course, the bad part uh, is actually being able to develop the solution, for example, in health. But at the same time, the GDPR, it is too complex, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's too complex. Okay. Yes. I think a lot of people uh, could probably agree with you on that. Uh, oh, definitely. We have discussions in every project uh, around GDPR. And there is a wide room of interpretations in how you use the data. For example, you're not allowed to use the data for another purpose, right? And the word purpose is very vague. So if you do use the data for another purpose, you need to have consent. So for example, if you're making a um, support desk system, you know, you're handling supports from customers, and then you want to improve that process by applying AI to classify incoming requests and so forth. Some businesses actually interpret that as a new purpose. Hmm. And that doesn't make sense, right? So it's a lot of confusion and understanding the, the GDPR as such. And then again, how that actually kind of slowed down uh, a lot of processes. For example, in health, it is not as complicated as one should think. But actually, uh, due to the fact that there is a regulation and you can get punished by it, people are more cautious, which again, makes the processes slow. So yes, GDPR really slows down things, 
But I think that will mature over the next couple of years when de facto interpretations of GDPR uh, comes into play and becomes more standard. And maybe there will be changes to it. Yeah, there's a few things that jump to my mind I'd love to tackle in these last few minutes here, just based on what you're saying. One is that it does make things a little slow. Yes, hopefully eventually we'll get to speed things up, but because we're going to have to work within this labyrinth, there's probably always going to be this layer of lag, Mm. so to speak, which again, you know, it might lead to a better aggregate future. Who's to say? Mm. I can't really do the Mm. utilitarian calculus from where I stand. Um, However, you know, when, when we think about practical considerations here, there's two things that come to my mind. Number one, maybe enterprise leaders who are considering implementing AI really need to have one or more people on their staff that truly understand GDPR pretty thoroughly and have thought through that it's labyrinth in the context of AI a lot and make sure that person's in the room. It seems like you, you really do need a separate bit of mastery to have the AI conversation in Europe, and that could be one of them. The second thing is maybe we need to select our AI projects differently just because we know there's going to be greater hurdles to implementing them. Maybe that makes us prioritize things a little bit a little bit differently. Do you think that you know, factoring in GDPR is going to maybe help us pick, okay, let's, let's try this for our first project versus this for our first project. And how does that, how does that factor in, in your opinion? It definitely factors in. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, I think that if you want to embark on an AI journey and have a widespread adoption in your company, there's so much you can do. There's so many solutions you can make that makes you much more efficient without touching into GDPR. Typically, GDPR comes into play when you're trying to solve these kind of, these high value kind of problems. Uh, When it comes down to, for example, uh, fraud detection, loan applications, and of course, health. So, but there are so much you can do and how you can, uh, when you apply it, you can improve your business in terms of just pure efficiency. And this is what we do with our customers. We're looking not like for the most necessary valuable solutions, but the, the solutions that are, are solvable given the data you have and without touching into GDPR too heavy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Really interesting. So it seems like We might want to prioritize, yes, not just the total ROI calculation, total ROI calculation plus minimal legal hiccups, which might just mean internal efficiencies might be the low-hanging fruit in Europe, even more so in the States where we might want to do a recommendation engine first or try a conversational Mm. interface first or some Mm. kind of payment Mm. thing first. In Europe, Mm. we might want to process our paperwork. We might want to digitize our documents. We might want to, do do you see, okay, got it. All right. I think that's a really salient point. And, And hopefully for the folks who are tuned in right now who are doing business in Europe, or those of you who are in Europe already, and I know we have listeners from uh, all over, mostly Western Europe, hopefully these insights are poignant for you as well. Lars, I know that we're up on time here, but I sincerely appreciate you breaking down your thoughts. This was a great episode. Thank you. So 
that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thanks to Lars for joining us, and thank you to you for listening all the way through. Often at the end of these episodes, I'll mention, hey, you should follow Emerge on social media, uh, but I often get a lot of fun and engagement and great ideas when I connect with you all personally on social media. Pretty easy to find Dan Fagella on Twitter. That's uh, Dan, D-A-N-F-A-G-G-E-L-L-A. Nice long Italian name there. Dan Fagella on Twitter or Dan Fagella on LinkedIn. Be sure to follow me on LinkedIn. Follow me on Twitter. Stay connected. Comment on our material. We've had a lot more engagement on social over the course of the last six to 12 months as we've started mentioning it more here on the podcast. And I get my best ideas from subscribers. And so I'd like to get some of my best ideas from you. So be sure to find me on social. That's on Twitter or on LinkedIn at Dan Fagella. Pretty easy to find me. You can Google it if it's tough for you to spell, if you uh, missed it on the first pass there. But otherwise, I hope to stay in touch on that front. Without further ado, we'll wrap things up and I look forward to catching you next Tuesday for another episode of the AI in Business podcast. 